they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they, was, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it's, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood, notice that, for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. And when they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. And they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the, in the marketplaces and they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all, all who touched him were healed. Now it's, it's interesting, we tend to take these passages in blocks and, and consider them almost separate from what went before, but that we're reminded when we start verse 45 that it says that this comes immediately immediately after he just fed the 5,000. And so the, the message of the feeding of the 5,000, and I explained this this morning, is that Jesus was putting them in a position where he was almost coach, coaxing them to do for themselves what he would do, but he wished that they would do. That uh, his command was then, well, you feed them then. And uh, they, they, they were in this complete quandary because to do that, they had, they had no facilities to be able to do that. They didn't have the resources to do that in themselves. That they would have to do it by faith and see God do it in response to faith. And Jesus was encouraging them in that step of faith to prove God for themselves. And uh, it's, it's all about the miraculous, really. Je Jesus is trying to push them into the realm of where the miraculous and, and, the, and the work of God becomes something that's real in their own lives. It, 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 being a Christian is not something having a set, a, a set, of, set of ideas or, or a moral standard that, that Jesus is calling for his followers to walk with him uh, and by faith to see the sorts of things in their lives that they've seen in his. And, and therefore it's this, I, I want to just put, you know, think, the miraculous in my life when we look at this passage together because it, it's got the highs and the lows doesn't it? It's, it is amazing how from the highs of feeding the 5,000 collecting all the crumbs as trophies and, and immediately he sends them into another crisis it, it's, it's rather disturbing to think that he'd do that you just get completely blessed out of your socks you see one of the most outstanding miracles of the Lord Jesus that he does. All the gospel writers talk about it and then immediately, don't miss it, immediately, he, he doesn't give them a rest, he doesn't give them a break, he doesn't say, well, there you are, you've, you've had one kind of spiritual lesson for today, you know, have a week off. No, he said, right in the boat, you go ahead of me and uh, he, doesn't, well, he doesn't say how he's going to get across the lake, whether they thought he was going to walk around like the other people did, I'm not sure, but the next problem they get into was because Jesus had sent them there. Why did he do that? Were they just getting a bit overexcited and he was wanting to bring them down to earth? Was he, was he, were they, in some sense, I don't know, were, 
Was he concerned that they were going to overstrain themselves and that he wanted to give them a bit of peace? Why, why did he send them away like that, immediately, without him? Was he wanting to ruin the crumbs? You know, they'd taken the crumbs, they didn't leave them for the birds, they, 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 they gathered them, so maybe they were thinking, well, they, you know, I was there when he fed the 5,000 and going to put it on the mantelpiece. You know, this, this is a piece of the bread that grew miraculously from five barley loaves and two small fish. Whether the, 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 the storm was meant to, do, to ruin the crumbs, well... Or, but actually, we're told why he said them. It's in verse 52. Turn to it, I'll read it to you. Then he climbed into the, onto the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. 52. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. There, there was something that the disciples were meant to get by watching him feed the 5,000 that they hadn't got. That, that there was some spiritual truth about how they operate in the miraculous, that they, they just, the penny hadn't dropped, they just hadn't got it. And so as soon as the miracle, miracle has been done, and the clay is off again, and he's pushing them out, so that if they don't get it that time, they'll get it next time. That there, there's an, that, if you like, that there's, a, there's another lesson immediately. They haven't got it. They've seen only the crumbs, not the real realities behind it. So he's saying, right, back to class then. It's a bit worrying that Jesus does that, isn't it? You know, we're, we're just spiritually insensitive. We don't get it. And he doesn't, it just shows how eager the Lord is that we don't have hard hearts. And we actually come through into this point of being able to believe in him and trust him for ourselves. And the, the truth is that Jesus wants us to grow in this. He doesn't want us to stay living in the level of the natural. That something of the miraculous is meant to be real in the way that we live. And so he puts them on test. There's a kind of quality control again here. He's giving them an, an assessment, a, a kind of controlled experiment to see, well, let's just see how deep the faith thing is. Let's put them on test again. Let's see how real it is, how functional, how effective their faith is. And uh, that, that how much of our trials and troubles that come to us are there in order to help us to a place of trusting and at a place of believing. Because uh, the Lord doesn't want us to, to, to plateau. He, he doesn't want us to be like children who, who don't have the relationship themselves. He, he, wa he wants us to be mature in the Scriptures, endless Scriptures, where, where we are encouraged in that line. So, when he says that they hadn't got it where the bread was concerned, verse 52, because their hearts were hardened, what, what was it that Jesus was trying to teach them? That's the question. But what was it that they hadn't got? remembering that this is a context of the way that he operated in the miraculous. Well, the, the first thing is, I do believe he, he was wanting to show them, wanting them to understand how it was that he operated. He, he sent them out on their own. He told them to get in the boat and to go, to the, go ahead of him to Bethsaida. Uh, this is, as I was saying this morning, this is almost step three. In the way that Jesus trained his disciples, step one, watch me do it. Step two, do it with me. Step three, go out there and do it 
as I would do it. That this is clearly another step three, just like it was with verse, in verse 12 where he sent them out uh, uh, into, the, into the villages. You watch me preach, heal, bring, get demonic presence out of people's lives. He says, no, no, you go and do it. Step three. They'd watched him, they'd done it with him, and then he sent them out to preach. That in, and here, they, that there is a precedent to the, the, how they were meant to handle storms. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 35, you remember that Jesus in the storm, asleep in the back, uh, the, the storm gets really rough, they wake the Lord up, terribly anxious, and uh, Jesus stills the storm, remember? Uh, but the, it's what he says to them. He said to his disciples... Why are you so afraid? Do you, ha not, do you have no faith? So clearly, in chapter 4, there's an expectation. In that kind of crisis, that there's an exercise of faith that can make things fundamentally different. So he's sending them on the lake, because this is another, this is another step three one, where, where it, almost, as we're saying this morning, back, into the same, back to the same challenge to see whether we got it this time. He sends them out onto the lake to see how they get on in storm handling. And then he stays back, pray. He's on the top of a hill somewhere, um, with his, the, 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 the word literally phase, with his face towards God, seeking God's face, um, just to see how they get on. Will they, will they get back to crumbs again? <laughs> you know, will they completely miss it? And he is relentless. He is determined that they get it. So, you know, way to go. In your boat. See how you get on. When we were doing Word Plus the week last Saturday, the, the same principle came out. And it's, it's in, uh, we, we, we commented on it then. And I, I, I'm going to comment on it now. When Jesus stilled the storm, in, in what power did he do that? It's a very important principle. Did, did, was it was Jesus God pretending to be a man, and uh, when he got really to the end of his tether, he used his divine authority, or, or was the Lord Jesus moving in the power of the Spirit in doing what he did? Was he a kind of bionic man with a power pack? In some of you are not old enough to remember that, um, but. Was there something unique about the Lord Jesus so he could do this stuff? Or is he doing this stuff by faith in his Father, in the power of the Spirit? Because if it's the former, this, you know, it's, it's almost just of historical interest to me because I'm not God. And I, and I, I don't walk. In, I haven't got his nature. I don't have his authority. And, and therefore, if Jesus can still the storm, it's not much point sticking me in a boat and say, David, go and do the same because I don't have his authority. But if Jesus, when he stilled the storm, stilled the storm, in, but through the authority of the Spirit, in his humanity, well, my humanity may not be quite in the condition that his was, but, but by the grace of God, I still have the same Spirit. Now, do, you, do you see the importance of this? That actually, if I put Jesus, he is God, but the, the, don't get me wrong, I'm not denying his deity, his deity is, is firmly established. But in Philippians 2, who being by very nature God, that's clear, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, he, he emptied himself. 
emptied him. So Jesus put aside his divine prerogatives, became fully a man, and under the anointing of the Spirit, lived as a man could. Uh, and therefore, operating in that level, he can say to the disciples, no, do as I do. If he was operating in his deity, he could never say to you and I, do the things that I do. Or even greater things will you do because I go to the Father. But if, if, in, if in his miraculous ministry, he's operating in the power of the Spirit, it's right and, 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 and encouraging that he should expect us to do the same. And, and clearly Jesus is doing something of that here. He, he's sending them into a situation where he's already modelled how you handle that situation and saying, now go ahead, handle it in the same way. In other words, he's saying to them, operate in the miraculous, in the power of the Spirit. So he's, the first thing he's wanting them to understand is how he operated. I believe that's why he sent them on their way as he did. Otherwise, it would have been pointless. And the second thing, and it flows naturally from this, we saw this this morning, is how he, he's encouraging them to operate in his absence. Now, he prayed for a long time. <laughs> Maybe he has to pray for a long time for us as well. Uh, I fancy so. But, but it says that it got to the fourth watch of the night. That's somewhere between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. Now, it was going dark. Let's say that, let's hope it was autumn, right? And uh, it says that by the time he'd sent them off, it was late. So, how late? So how long has these guys been rowing on this lake? How long had he been up there watching them struggle? That's a bit worrying, really. You know, how many times do I kind of think, Lord, now! And he doesn't. He, he, just, he just lets me keep... There's something he wants me to learn here, you see. He doesn't come and bail me out straight away because he's looking for an exercise of faith in my own life, and uh, hence the delay. And, and they, verse 48, they, they, they are left alone, getting absolutely nowhere. And, and then, this is weird, isn't it? In verse 48, it, it says that they came walking out on the water and passed them, right? Now imagine, there's a, there's a heavy swell, if not a storm, and you've been rowing how many hours? Let's say four. Fancy that? Have you ever rowed on, you know, on, those, on, the, on, 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 on the kind of rowing things that you have on the seaside? Well, you know, four minutes is bad enough. But anyway, against a strong wind, they've been rowing for four hours. Should we say four hours? Four hours. And, blow me, they see the Lord Jesus walking on the water. They're scared, witless, thinking he's a spirit, just not, not seeing it. You see, that's what he says. They hadn't learned from the breaking of bread. Their hearts were hard. That they hadn't seen who Jesus was and the authority, therefore, that he was giving them. And Jesus, it seems, went as if he was going to pass them by. Obvious question. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Look at it, verse 48. It says it, says it there very, very, very clearly. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because, they'd, because they all saw him, and so 
because of which I've gotten the wrong before. But he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And about the fourth hour of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Why? What do you reckon? Should we brainstorm? Well, the, the, the commentators brainstorm. Some say, well, he just wanted to get to the other side before them. Well, well, why didn't he walk round if they were struggling in the storm? Doesn't fit. He was pretending to walk past them and just winding them up. Well, it worked. <laughs> they were, quote, terrified. The answer surely is that he was testing their capacity and wanted them to sort it out themselves. He didn't want, again, to stand up in the boat and say, peace be still. Uh, that's what he'd done in chapter 4. This is astonishing. Jesus, who, with when he commanded the waves last time, he said, what, what man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? There is now clearly a reluctance for him to get into the boat and do the stuff that, he was, that he, he's, he's empowered them to do. Can you see that? He's apparently indifferent to their plight. The fact that, and in both storms, in one of them he's, he's, he's sleeping. Here he's just kind of casually walking past them on the water. And uh, he's saying, well, go on then. Oh, all authority has been given to you. And he, he says this to them, doesn't he? You know, go then. Heal the sick then. Cleanse the lepers then. The thought that he's given us his authority, he's given us his spirit, he's given us direct. Now go and do it. Go and do it. And again, the, the, the challenge is very similar. Well, it's a repeat lesson, don't forget. This is a repeat lesson to the one this morning about the 5,000. You, you may have all the maritime skills in the world, but it won't actually help you deal with the storm. You, you, may, you may be super fit and a brilliant rower. You may know all, all that you ever want to know about meteorology and why this storm is doing what it's doing. But they're actually operating on the wrong level. He wants them to operate in the dynamic of the spirit. That's it. That it, He wants them to operate like he operates in the spirit. That's what, all of these encouragements. That's why he, he, he stood them up in front of 5,000 people and said, well, you feed them. He wasn't mocking them. He wasn't belittling and wanting to make them look stupid. He, he was wanting them, by faith, to start to step out and operate in the level of the miraculous. Otherwise, he was making fools of them. That the, he clearly expects, and if you go on, as we said at the end of this morning, into chapter 8, he does it again. 4,000 people. Go on, then, he said. Go on, feed them. And he says, oh, haven't you got it? And he's been in the boat with them once. And he stilled the storm. He said, why, why didn't you do it? What a crazy question. That's basically what he says. He says, are you so slow to believe? Don't you understand that I've given you authority? That there's an operation of the miraculous? Now, maybe it helped having him around. So that's the second one. He not only wanted to understand how he operated, and making it clear that he operated by faith and in the Spirit, in his humanity, but he also... It's just pushing them into and regularly into crises so that they will start to operate themselves without him having to do it for them. Second lesson. You then have him getting to the shore. It's one of those passages that we kind of skip over, isn't it? It's 
When, he, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and, and anchored there. And as soon as he got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus and they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever he was. And whenever he went into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick on the marketplaces and they dragged him. They begged him, sorry, and let them, to let them touch him in the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. That there is all, that widely in the area, this expectation that Jesus can do it. And it described it, it's almost a cameo summary of what happened nearly everywhere he went. And people had this expectation that he would do the miraculous. It, it, it was repeatedly an opener for the gospel. That signs and wonders and almost gave credibility to what was being done. And the, the, again, the New Testament references this regularly throughout. It isn't just in the Gospels in the Acts of the Apostles. In, in Romans, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, in leading the Gentiles to obey God as his apostolic preaching of the gospel by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. In, in all of the apostles' ministry, that there was this expectation of the miraculous and, and the writer to the Hebrews. You don't understand. Gospels, Acts of the Apostles, Paul maybe, but even the writer of the Hebrews, he says this, chapter 2 and verse 4, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now what have we got here? We've got Jesus lining up in the, day, in the days of the Gospels the very people who, when the early church got on the road, the very people that were leading it, he's seeking to equip them in a certain kind of ministry. He, he, he's, trying to, he's seeking to school them in the operation of the miraculous. The day of Pentecost comes. The sound of a rushing wind. And the Holy Spirit comes flooding on them, and right the way then, through the Acts of the Apostles, there's this, this whole testimony to the working of the miraculous, the supernatural work in the natural. Generally speaking, that we refer to them as spiritual gifts, and, and, and Jesus is clearly preparing those who are going to be his followers, that, that when, when, when he's left them to it, and gone on the mountain, gone, gone to heaven to pray, that that there would be this expectation of the miraculous, uh, of the operation of spiritual gifts. And uh, we struggle today, <laughs> and yet we, we, we've got it into our heads that this is somehow something of a luxury. I, I don't think Jesus is teaching the, the exercise of spiritual gifts as a luxury. As Christians, we, know, we need to know how to pray for the sick. We, we need to get into a place on a regular basis, where we, we have learned how to exercise faith in such a function so we can pray for the sick and see them healed. That uh, the, the, the words of knowledge and, and, and words of wisdom 
and, 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 and gifts of discernment are not there as a kind of optional extra. Jesus is here schooling the people who are going to be the leaders of tomorrow and all the time, as I say, relentlessly, he's putting them in from situation to situation to situation where he's going to force them to walk out and operate in the faith level, in the, in, in the, the realm of spiritual reality, not just natural reality, in the, in the realm of the miraculous. And, and this is his way. might be uncomfortable for us, we might think, oh, David, God, great, coming to Cardiff. Going to say, Why is he going to the temple, not coming here? But anyway, that, that, you know, and I, I, I have witnessed with my own eyes the clear working of the power of, the power of God in that man's life. Lovely guy. But isn't God, the Spirit of God hasn't been poured out just so that David Carr's of this world can see the miraculous and see the working of the Spirit of God in spiritual gifts in, their, in his life. But in, isn't it on all of us? Isn't it your young men shall prophesy? Isn't it? Isn't it your, the, the, your, your, your maidens and your, and your, your old men and your young men? Isn't it, isn't it the whole thing? Aren't we to be a people that are there called to walk by faith and, and learn this exercise of faith to see the miraculous in, in our day, every day? Isn't that the deal? Can, can you come to any other conclusion when you read this stuff? Isn't it there? Because why else, why else are these narratives in the gospel? What, what is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? But he, he's wanting all the time. Oh, my life is so full of trouble. Yeah, of course it is. You're just dull. He's pushing you. He wants you to walk by faith. He wants you to learn to trust him. Well, why isn't it a lot easier? Because you'd never learn if it was easier. He's making things difficult. So you learn to walk by faith with him. There's a, a lovely instance in Matthew's account here. Uh, Mark 6 is, is found in Matthew 14. And it tells us of, of, of another slight side in verse 29. You'll know what I'm referring to. Um, and uh, uh, when Jesus, it says that, that Mark misses, leaves it out, Matthew records it for some reason, we don't know why, that, uh, that, that what happens was that they're in the boat, no, sorry, doing this, pulling away, bad wind, and uh, that Jesus starts to walk from the mainland and goes past them, and uh, they think it's a spirit, terrified. He then gets into the boat, and everything goes calm. But before he got into the boat... According to Matthew 14, Peter said, Oh, can I come out to you on the water? Remember? And uh, he, 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 he got up from the edge of the boat and, uh, and they, he, he, he took his eyes off Jesus and, and while it's I just sink and Jesus picked him up. And the old, that, that happened in this narrative, but for some reason Mark's left it out. We don't worry about that. And I, I don't know if you've read John Ortberg's book. It's, a, it's an excellent book. But the title says it all for this. If you want to walk on the water, you've... If you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. You, you could almost write that book title over the feeding of the 5,000. If you want to feed the 5,000, you've got to get the bread in your hand and start to do the stuff. And in the miraculous, by faith, Christian, you can stay in the shadows, in the just safe, 
within the parameters of where you think you can operate in the natural. You, you, we can avoid, avoid any way we can the, the kind of extremities where we may not have to trust God and stick our neck out. But that's not where Jesus wants you to live. It's the fact that you're avoiding it that he seems to want to have to send you so much trouble. If you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. At some point, we have to start to say, Okay, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Let, 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 fill my life with your life. I give myself entirely to you. No, Lord, I want to do the stuff like you do it. <laughs> if you read John Wimber's biography, he went to this Lutheran church and uh, saw the, the minister kind of doing all the stuff that ministers do. And, and uh, he went to her at the end and said, well, That was great, that was great, but when do we do the stuff? Now, this stuff, when do we do this stuff? When do we see God at work in the lives of ordinary people? I want to give you a holy dissatisfaction. The Bible, and look, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am, because I've read it. Right? The, the Bible gives me a very, very clear expectation that I can expect to see God working in my life. Whether you're a copper, or you do funny training courses, or whether you're a student, or, or an architect. Talking of architects, isn't it good out there? Didn't David Davis do a good job? Isn't it great having those stupid steps to fall over? Yeah! Anyway, enough about architects. But it's the expectation of the miraculous. We've, we, we say, oh, do you, are you a cessationist? Do you think that this sort of stuff is fitting? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm a kind of character. I believe it happens. I just don't think it'll happen in my life. And rationalism and the, the kind of blinkered thinking of so much of the Enlightenment has so closed off my expectation that I, it, it probably will happen to David Carr if he's on the stage, but it won't happen to me. But Jesus is saying that he wants us to operate that, 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 that we, so many, many of us need to get out of the boat when it comes to the operation of the miraculous. We need to put ourselves in a position where we're learning consciously to really trust him and prove God for ourselves. Because this is how we became Christians in the first place, wasn't it? Wasn't it because you trusted him? I hope it was. I hope it was because you learned to, 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 to lean and trust the Lord Jesus personally for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Because if you haven't come to a place, I'm trying to remind you now what it was like, if you have not come to a place where you realize you can't save yourself or forgive yourself or find God your own way, the only way that you will find God is by personally coming to the Lord Jesus and taking a step of faith whereby you wholly trust him for your eternal future and for the forgiveness of your past. You're looking at me as if you've never heard it before. But I just hope you have. Because it was by believing by faith that we became Christians at all. It isn't anything I did that made me good enough for God. It was the fact that I trusted him, but my whole reliance on him. And Jesus is saying that the, the, the miracle that happened then when he gave you a new heart and put his spirit within you and changed your life from the inside out, that's what happens when we trust him. That that same trust, that same spiritual reality and power is to be ours in the everyday. 
In the air. How do you get on with it? Nice sermon. He's finished now. He's shut his Bible. How do you get on with this? Rog, how do you get on with it? I know it's easy to play a brass in your brass band. I, I understand. Blowing a, blowing a trumpet is easier than this stuff. Because with a lot of practice, and they, they, they all, they're all nodding, I think, in, oh, that's right, speaking. But we all blow our trumpet, you see. Because there are, there are things that we can learn to do quite well with enough practice. And sometimes we think that that's how I live the Christian life. It's not. I don't live the Christian life by thinking I can do it reasonably well with enough practice. I live the Christian life by walking by faith so that God supernaturally breaks into my life and does things in my life that otherwise I could never do. Does that sound good or what? So it doesn't matter where you are, which university, you know, whether you're going up to it or down to it, it doesn't really matter. Are you going to walk and see the, the, the works of God in Newport? Is that possible? <laughs> Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we, we're often so guilty of, of kidding ourselves that we believe something and then not doing it. Of saying that we believe that you can do something and then having no expectation that you will. And so we stand in your presence, Lord, and we, we ask you that you'll do something in our hearts and lives. Can I ask you? Can I just take you through some steps so that we, you're sure where you stand? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus for yourself? Are you... Are you relying on your own ability to get to heaven or are you entirely trusting Jesus who died for your sin? Have you asked him into your life by faith? That's the first step. Stepping out of, of your own self-reliance to rely entirely on him. That only, that's the only way. We only become Christians by faith. There's no other route. But having become a Christian... Have we just got to a place where, rather timidly, we will live a life so sheltered and so protected from exposure that there's no real need very often to prove God at all. We can more or less live within the grounds that, area that we're familiar with. Lord, we, we don't want to live that way. We know you never saved us to live that way. There would be no reason for you to give us your spirit if we were to live that way. Lord, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to think that you've called us to do the things and even greater things than you did when you were on earth. And Lord, we want, in our different circumstances, to be a people who walk in the Spirit and see manifestations of the miraculous in our living. Lord, we want to see it. I've done it for the last three weeks. I'm going to do it again. We just have to get through on some of these things. Dear Lord, I want you to break into my life so that the credibility of the miraculous becomes more and more evident.
Lord, I don't just want to be someone who knows the theory, but doesn't know the reality. Holy Spirit, will you come? Renew my mind. Cleanse me from my unbelief. And cause me to be a man and a woman who operates by faith. Take steps out of boats in order to walk on water. It's another big call. Will you be satisfied to go to heaven one day? and have lived most of your life in the natural without manifestations of the supernatural? Would you make room to learn to walk by faith? Dear Lord, come upon our lives, Lord, freshly. We're not asking, Lord Jesus, that you'll start to raise up people in the church or in the nation who will work in the miraculous, Lord. We're asking you that you will lead us, that that I might work in the miraculous. That the gifts of the Spirit might be powerfully evident in my life. Can you say that? Lord, break me out of my comfort, my, my sheltered avoidance of, of these risk places where faith alone can operate. That, Lord, I might start to work and see the gifts of the Spirit functioning regularly in my life.